you're tuned in to the Neo Academy podcast. My name's Mark, and welcome to another episode of Neo Chats, deep dive conversations into the culture of education. Jacqueline Lloyd-Smith, thank you so much for making the time to, to be with us today. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I just wanted to um, to just have a, a quick um, overview of, of what you're actually involved in, because I've been looking into, you know, I, I think a lot of people out there are sort of, you know, they, they've heard of Lego Serious Play. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize that it's kind of, you know, more of an open source model, um, um, you know, with lots of people involved in it and facilitators around the world. A lot of people I've talked to recently in education um, didn't quite realize how how big it was and how broad and how wide ranging it was. Um, so you are the CEO of the uh, or the founder of the Strategic Play Group and a master trainer, if I've got that right, for yes. Lego Serious Play methodology. <laughs> um, how, what, what does that actually involve? I mean, how did you how did you get into this, um, this oh, kind of world? Sure. Um, and what, what does that mean to be a master trainer? How does it different differ from, you know, perhaps other uh, other levels, if you want to put it that way? Um, well, OK, so how did I get into this? My background is in art and play therapy. And I had done a master's in conflict analysis and management, and then I did an MBA. And as I started to get into the business world, I really found that there were lots of conflicts in boardrooms. That's what I was you know, focusing on. And I kept thinking there has to be a way that we can bring more of the art and play um, methodology into uh, boardrooms. And so then I read an article that Lego had invented this application to use for mergers and acquisitions. It was a finance article. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I started um, constantly calling Lego to try to find out what was going on. And finally, somebody got back to me and said, yep, you can come and take our training. Um, at that point, they were they were screening people. They were being quite selective over who would get trained. Um, so you already had to be a consultant. You had to have a track record with clients. And if you were approved, then you could spend all your money and take the training. And so that was that was in the um, it was in the beginning. Um, then I started to do some things for Lego. They started sending me to conferences and whatnot. And then eventually they asked me if I would if I would train for them. And I was appointed to the training board for um, for the Lego series play training board. Um, and on that was in 2009. And one of our jobs was to really look at how to get the methodology out into the hands of, of more people. And um, and so I was a part of the team that helped to take it from a closed license model with Lego to an open source model that it is today. So there were um, there were a team of, of six um, X or five external people that were considered strategic partners of Legos, and then there were Lego staff members. Um, so that was in 2009, and um, and then I think it was two, early 2010, or it might have been late 2009 that I did the very last training on behalf of the Lego uh, Systems Group. At that point, they said, "Why don't you go and um, train under your own brand?" But at at that point, they um, we were considered master trainers for Lego. And so we just kept that title. So the people that are out there now that call themselves master trainers, so it's, there's only four of us, um, but we were the original training board and the original people that were training on behalf of Lego. That is fascinating. I, I had no idea that it was that you were in at such a foundational level of this, which um, again, you know, makes me feel very, very privileged to actually get to talk to you about this because it's something um, I've I've been in various sessions of of Lego Serious Play. Um, I've you know worked as a teacher in various business schools and a teacher trainer, and I've crossed paths with this methodology on in in several aspects. And what I've always been curious about is, <clears throat> and I'm sure you could help with this actually, is is how it developed. I mean, when you came in, if you think about the sort of core aspects of of what it's about about creative problem solving, um, about you know creative thinking. Um, how has it sort of evolved, you know, over your time there um, as a methodology? Has it stayed um, constant at its core 
or has it has it shifted um, substantively in any way? What's been the what's the developmental process been like? Well, that you know, that's such an interesting question. And maybe I will just do a plug for our book. So we have put a book together that's a strategic play stories from the global um, playground. The first chapter is written by somebody that I worked with um, at LIGO. So yes, for yes, Jensen was in charge of serious play. Um, and he really does explain how it was a startup with inside the Lego company and how from there it, um, we went into the open, you know, we went into the open source model. We talk about that whole thing. And then different people have written chapters in different locations around the world about that, how they have introduced Lego serious play into their country. So it's, you know, we're not experts on culture, but we do have stories to tell about what it's like to bring Lego series play to Brazil or what it was like to bring um, Lego series play to the US or Canada or Mexico or Africa. So um, now as far as the methodology goes, I would say that there is a core to the Lego series play methodology that was invented by the Lego company. And we hold true to those underpinnings and those principles. However, um, strategic play, we have, <clears throat> we're an innovative company. And so we have not just stuck with the same, you know, the same pattern, I guess you could say. So if you have the knitting needles and the wool, um, and you have a method of how you make something, we make all kinds of things. So we have blended the Lego series play methodology with other methodologies that are closely associated with it, like, you know, agile design thinking, creative problem solving, conflict, creative conflict management, uh, creative coaching. So we have taken different kind of, um, you know, some, some more of the things that are being used by people and then brought them together with Lego. So Lego series, Lego series play really is an agnostic tool that is available to be used in so many different ways. And it's really only limited by our imagination. So these are the things that I know about. So this is how I, you know, we have as a company created these courses, um, but it doesn't mean to say that that's a limit. You know, people are using it in so many different ways that are outside of my, um, so I have a friend who's a psychiatrist who we just did a podcast with, and he's using it in psychiatric treatment. So there's just, it's endless. As far as it being used in education, um, there's a there's a wonderful opportunity for teachers and educators to be using it within their classroom for learning transfer for um, helping helping students become more curious and to explore. So I think that is um, that it's a perfect fit for education and it's higher education too. We had somebody speak mm -hmm. at one of our conferences about using Lego serious play to teach people about um, quantum chemistry which is complicated in itself. Um, and so she uses Lego and we've written, I think uh, there was a blog post written about her uh, Lego Fridays where she brings a Lego in on a Friday and lets the students build with it in order to get a deeper understanding. And as a teacher, she's able to see where there might be some learning gaps or and help them actually teach each other. So it's a fascinating tool. Um, in the field of education, but in so many different, so many different um, avenues could be using this tool in different ways that we haven't even imagined. It's an infinite amount of possibilities. It, it, it's, it shouldn't be surprising, but it is surprising to me that it, it is so flexible. Um, I mean, I guess it's, um, it's consistent with the principles of what um, play-based uh, learning is about, that it's open-ended, um, that you have a certain core um, understanding of of that iterative process and and the open endedness of it um, and the, you know it's a very human thing, but I'm quite surprised to find it being applied to so many different things. I I very much seen it in design thinking, um, mm -hmm. you know, in in those kinds of workshops. So almost um, fixed focus on problem solving. Here's how how do we going to improve this product or service? I'd heard talk of it used in communication. Um, sort of boardroom communication and you mentioned creative conflict management there um, mm -hmm. but it seems like as you say it's it's endless which is really mm -hmm. piquing my curiosity 
Um, and I'm really interested as well to find out that you actually did play therapy, that that's the background that you come from, because it seems like um, education is sort of catching up to all this stuff. Uh, the conversation in education, you know, I live in, in Scotland, but it's it's not limited to here. It's It's all around the world talking about play based learning, talking about the need to stimulate or to protect that curiosity um, and to foster it and support it through throughout education, not just do it in primary and then kind of come back to it when you're in your master's and just forget about you in the middle, but to protect that all the way through. So from your background in play therapy and your time in that evolutionary process of serious play methodology, um, what would you say ha it's, it's taught you about the way that we learn best, you know, in terms of becoming the best versions of ourselves? Yes. Well, first, I just want to circle back and say that Lego series play, although it may sound like it's much closer to play therapy than art therapy, it's actually much closer to art therapy. And we could say that art is play. And so there could be a conversation around that. Um, but play therapy, depending on who you're working with in the age group, um, non-directive play is one of the modalities and, and, and the way that, that most play therapists would approach. Um, in art therapy, it's much more directive. We're asking people, we'd like you to draw a picture of something. Uh, or make something. And that's much more like Lego series play because Lego series play, it's not non-directive play. It is directive play. And so I think that it's really important for educators to know that I would go further too, and just say, depending on who your audience is, um, that I would advise not to use Lego series play with children that are six and under um, because adults need to stay out of the way of them playing. They, they learn and play on their own. We shouldn't interfere. And Lego series play is very, because we, we have timing, we're like, build this now, build this. And we do it that way because it's designed for adults. So I just want to make sure that that is um, not to say that we, I mean, there's been great success using it with, um, <clears throat> you know, 10, 11 and 12 year olds. So, um, but I just kind of want to make that point. Um, okay, so to answer your question about how do I see that this has evolved Initially, I think even when I was an art and play therapist, people were like, what is that? Like really nobody, nobody knew. I was always sort of a, even when I did the conflict analysis and management course, people are like, what is, what is conflict management? So I think <laughs> that, you know, to go into Lego series play, I just feel like, well, here I am again, doing something that nobody really understands. So it's great that you're um, exploring it through this educational tool that you're using um, so that people can learn about it. Um, I think that society has changed. I think that people are tired. Um, and as you know, as the we'll say the millennials start moving into leadership roles, people are not interested in sitting and listening to boring presentations anymore. They don't want to be talked at. We know that people don't learn that way any anyway. So only a small percentage of the population just learn by listening. Um, people learn by doing something. They learn visually seeing things. And this is what Lego series play is great for, is that it gives you an opportunity to get your hands involved in building, telling stories, listening to other people, reflecting. So it has every single one of the, we could say learning styles covered. It also gives us an opportunity to reflect and when we ask people to build something, they have an opportunity to think about it. So it works for both introverts and extroverts. So as a tool for communication and for when we start thinking about the fact that people would like to, to talk about themselves, they would like to think deeper about and have time to think about how they think about things, um, Lego series play is perfect for that. And I so I do think that the uptake on this has been a lot quicker than um, and I think it exponentially will continue to grow. Um, I think that people, you know, if you were, let's say back in, I don't know, I'm going to say the 90s, if you were a facilitator, you might not have post-it notes in your toolkit. To show up now to facilitate without post-it notes, it would be like, you know, crazy. Yeah. And this is exactly what I hope to see with Lego series play. I hope that it's in every facilitator, every teacher, every trainer's toolkit so that they all have access to this great tool. Um, 
And we have, you know, just a plug for Lego, we have tried to do this with modeling clay, with Play-Doh, with other things. And the underpinnings for Lego series play are are perfect. You can use them for, you know, kind of the philosophy that goes with it is great for anything you're doing. Um, but the Lego works better than anything else. And I think it has something to do with the fact that even if you consider yourself not creative, which a lot of people do, you can very quickly create something that looks just as good as the person next to you, and you can feel good about what you make. So I think that, um, you know, I think that this is a time now to start bringing more of these playful and creative approaches into, into boardrooms, into classrooms, into society. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if we're, if we're thinking about the world ahead, I mean, you, you mentioned the world has changed and it continues to change at a bewildering pace. Uh, it's volatile, it's complex. Um, there are no, uh, it's not linear anymore. You know, you're not gonna go in and spend 30 years uh, working for the same company like people used to. You're gonna be hopping around, learning stuff that we can't even really predict yet. And so at one end, you've got, you know, people like the OECD saying, for many years, creativity is this critical skill mm -hmm. that we need to be able to step back and think in a non-linear way. We need to lose our fear of looking silly or whatever, you know, when we mm -hmm. suggest things that might be a little um, uh, obtuse, you know, um, which is is a difficult thing to do in traditional learning environments as well and, and corporate environments as well. Um, many of them are still very much like that, separate the the sense of um, experimentation from the perception of the ego, you know, is, is, is often a difficult thing. And you mentioned culture there when you talk about um, higher power distance cultures as well. It, it, it only intensifies as well. Um, very, very tricky things. But what I would like to pick up on is you mentioned about people considering themselves not creative, which is something I found time and time again. Um, these misconceptions about what creativity is um and and how it shows up what what progress are you making there i mean are you having a lot of sort of aha moments working with people where do you think they're, they're actually able after um some of these sort of interventions and exposure to this methodology to start to maybe see themselves as create as creative and to start rounding off their perception of what creativity actually means well i you know i it, and it's it's true like we just we just did a great big workshop for um a global organization where over the month of january we had over 200 people um come and take a workshop um it was actually global citizen is the name of the um, nonprofit charity that we worked with and and right away people are like oh i don't you know that that i don't get it i don't know why i'm doing this like i have real work to do and i'm coming to do this to the end of the workshop where they're like, this was fantastic. I love playing with the Lego. I like to hear what my other, what my colleagues had to say. Um, I, you know, I, I felt connected with them. Um, so I think that people, we have to bring them along on a journey and we always start with where they are right now. So I never try to convince people of anything. At the very beginning, I might say something like creativity is a muscle that we need to massage um, it's a muscle that we might not have used but just like going to the gym we need to exercise that muscle and we get better at it i for folks that are you know a global citizen and you know almost everyone i can simply say the goals and the problems that we're working on right now are so so complex so messy so complicated that we really need to be able to use creative and creativity and creative thinking in order to do things in a new and different way. If we cannot imagine um, what a solution might look like or what an option might look like, or even imagine what um, what a scenario, a negative scenario might look like, then how do you ever plan for it? How do you ever prepare? If we're just living in the now and the history, history does not give us a path forward. It just gives us a path backwards. I mean, life is live. Everything's happening in real time. And so using our imagination that we were all born with um, and our creative talent, which is, you know, our birthright that every human has by exercising that muscle and working on it, it gives us the competitive advantage. If you think about um, in, in the marketplace and whether you're a for-profit or a non-profit, 
for profits are in the business to, you know, out imagine their competitor and nonprofits are really in the business of providing better services with less money. And the only way to do that is to use creative thinking. So, you know, I think that most people start will go, okay, yeah, you know, and I try to say, well, imagination is not for children. You use your imagination every time you think about what dinner might look like and you start planning a meal. So we're using our imagination. It's just how limited do we um, do we limit ourselves on our thinking? And that's really the question. And so by getting people to come along with us on this journey, what we're really doing is helping them uncover parts of themselves that they may have forgotten. I was talking to somebody at Lego once and they said, you know, we're because the Lego Foundation is on a mission to change um, to reform education. I mean, that's one of one of the things that we did when we worked with the United Nations as we looked at um, education reform. So Lego is definitely the Lego Foundation, which the Lego Serious Play Division comes under. That is one of their goals, which is, a, a, you know, is is sounds like the work that you're doing as well, which is great. Um, so when we think about um, what we're doing, this fellow at Lego said to me, oh, we love you because you're reverse engineering adults to get them to think like children. And we're trying to get adults to stop making children, you know, limit children's thinking. So that's really what we're doing. We're trying to reverse engineer people's brains so that they can kind of forget all of the all of the things that have limited them and get back to a more authentic and natural state of learning. Um, because this idea of being curious and being curious about the world around us is something that when we're curious, we are so much better positioned for, for anything that might happen. So instead of being reactionary to something, be curious about it. As soon as you're curious, you open up those neural pathways that enable you to see more and more options. And this is where resilience comes from. Um, so and we need to be resilient for survival so whether it's you know whether you're in a boardroom or a classroom these these things are, are really important it's it's very empowering the whole thing isn't it i mean um learning to think this way or well to, to come back a little bit um what i really like is the fact that you you don't talk about creativity as something that um you know, is in you or is not, or has to be kind of brought into existence straight from the get-go, you're kind of, you're, you're zooming in and you're framing it as it's there. It's, a, you've used mm -hmm. the word birthright. I've used the same word myself, uh, mm -hmm. firmly believe in it. I really like the analogy of a muscle that needs massage because you're not saying it's a muscle that some people have. <laughs> no, that's right. You know, and, we, and that's a very intentional thing. Yeah. Which is you know, empowering. And I, I, and I think that this is one of the myths of creativity, you know, that you're either born with it or you're not. I mean, it's a myth. There's a lot of myths. You know, we have the same myth about leaders. You know, you're either a born leader or, you know, you're not. And it's all of everything can be learned. We can do anything if we want to. I just said to somebody the other day, I'm sure I could do brain surgery if I decided I wanted to learn how to do it. And I spent time practicing and I, you know, I, you know, humans have the ability to learn anything. We can do anything. It's just deciding we all have, a, you know, the same 24 hours of a day. So it's really what we want to dedicate that time for. All and every single one of us has the ability uh, to learn through play that is really um that is really our, the natural way that we that that we were able to learn when we were born this is how children are wired for survival that is a mechanism that is still within us and for whatever happens along the way and i think it happens you know a lot of people are like oh it's a school system they stop people from being creative and i don't know necessarily um i think the human condition is that we start to compare ourselves to the person next to us so when we're little kids and we make stuff we don't compare the product we're, we're just making art or for the playing with paint uh, for the joy of it and as soon as we start to, to judge the finished product, I think this is when we start to then decide, well, that person's more creative than I am. And we start to decide, oh, I'm not good at that. I can't do this. And that kind of, I can't do it. And I, you know, that language is, um, that is self-imposed. People, you know, we say it to ourselves and maybe we heard it along the way, 
or maybe, you know, we just decided along the way that it wasn't for us. Um, so the challenge really is how do we unbelieve um, perhaps some of the things that adults told us when we were children or other kids told us that weren't true? And how do we get back to um, finding what is it within us and that we have a right to? Um, and then how do we nurture that? And I think there's lots of different programs out there for people that are interested in, you know, um, getting back in touch with 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 that um, divergent thinking versus a convergent thinking is what we we say in problem solving where you are open and you're using yes and language not no but language it seems like and you know this is my perception of it that um you you mentioned earlier on that you don't try and convince anyone of, of anything and that's it, it seems like um when you're immersed in this kind of thing you know, because play is is immersion, isn't it? That that this is the this is part of the process of actually starting to rewire the neural architecture in, in a way. You know, you're mm -hmm. stepping out of these well worn, well trodden um, neural pathways. Um, you've mentioned earlier on about being reactive, this kind of limbic system sort of way of thinking. You're getting into different parts of the brain. Once you've got people in that sort of prefrontal way of thinking, you know, and, and really accessing those parts and stepping out of, out of those, the, the, the patterning. Um, do you find that that that's enough to sort of plant the seed that they can then begin to take that change forward um, themselves? I mean, because what I'm wondering is when you talk about um, being involved with say a group, uh, you're working with a group of people, um, this seems like the kind of thing that would need um, quite, you know, consistent reinforcement. It would need guidance. It would need um, a, an architecture of support around it. Um, mm. Do you work with people extensively as well as intensively? Because I've only ever been in um, these quite short workshops, <laughs> you know, and if so, what was the support like for people afterwards? Or do you work extensively with sort of companies or institutions after to say, look, here's how you can really make the most of this because change doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, you know, if an organization asks us to come in, we'll go in anywhere. So if they just want us for a short demonstration or a little mini workshop, our goal, we're, we're farmers, not we're not into hunting and fishing. So when we meet a client and we start working with them, our goal is to work with them long term. We want them to come back to us if they need help later. We want to partner with them. So there are two municipalities we're working with right now. Um, the city of Surrey, which is just outside of Vancouver, which is a very large municipality. We've been working with them, I'm going to say for um, maybe 10 years now. It's been a, a and, and our, our um, we love them because they partner with us. They're really open to using all these methods. They want everyone that works um, in their organization to understand how to do creative problem solving and the value of play and how we use this to um, to get more innovative ideas. They're a great example because we're now training their leadership and development team so that they can use our methods in-house. So instead of selling them a fish, we want to teach them how to fish. Um, that's one example, the city of Chatham which it's just funny because that's my hometown where um, no, I was born in England, actually, but it was where I went to school. Um, we've been working with them and they are we're also going and doing a workshop with them. We've been working online with them to teach them how to use all of these tools. And then we're going to work on um, a, a real problem that they're going to be solving, that we're going to be using the Lego series play and creative problem solving methodologies together along with design thinking. But then we're like giving them the tools. Now, after they take the course, there's a whole online community that they have access to where they can go in and um, post questions, talk to other people that we've trained, grab access material. So it's sort of like an entire support network that's available to them. Um, so in other words, we don't want to just go and do some small workshop that isn't sustainable. We want to go in, stay in, be available to them when they need us, but we really want to, you know, take those training wheels off the bicycle. We want to see them take it forward. Um, 
because really once people start using these things, it starts become it starts getting sticky. The US Air Force is another example. We started to work with um, them a couple of years ago and went and did some training with them in, in Alabama. Um, and then they have taken training from us online. We also worked with them for designing space, which is um, they are getting a space force. So we worked with them on um, looking at the design. Um, and so that kind, those kinds of partnerships we really value. Procter & Gamble is another one. We've gone in and out of Procter & Gamble, but they now have all our tools. So they can do it in-house themselves. And so that's really, I think, where you start um, changing organizational culture is that there's usually a champion um, and I can think of who the champions are in all those locations I just mentioned, who has realized that the way we're doing things isn't great. We could do things differently. They've reached out to us. And then we started on this journey with them where um, we're, you know, we want to support them any way we can because we, you know, really, we want to see them be successful. It's in their success that helps to take this whole methodology and this mindset forward because everyone that we that we work with, they're married to somebody or they have a friend and they're talking about it because they're excited about it. And so really all of um, that word of mouth is is so important to have people start thinking differently. And we say to people, you know, that methods that we're using here, you can use this at home. You can use it with your kids. You can, you know, you can use it next time you're thinking about buying a house or anything that you're thinking, your dream vacation. Use all of this stuff and bring it into your life so that it's not something that you just, you can't do innovation on Friday. You have to be doing this all the time. <laughs> well, that's why I was, uh, I was curious about because, um, you know, I wondered how you get past that in terms of, well, in the education system. So you mentioned that Lego are really trying to work with education worldwide because they want to be part of that mm -hmm. positive progressive change. Um, I can absolutely clearly see why. I can clearly see what mm -hmm. they can bring. But so you've got um, you've got a system which has, you know, it varies wild, wildly and widely across the globe um, in traditional education systems from you know, right. countries like Estonia and Finland, uh, I would say Scotland in there as well, that are, you know, very much um, almost progressing towards the learner directed end of things. And then you've got other cultures which are, you know, really kind of firmly sort of instructor led, teacher centered models. So you've, you've got that. Um, but then you've also got initiative fatigue, uh, they call it, you know, with uh, mm -hmm. with educators who, as the prevailing political winds shift left and right all the time, right. and, and now, now it's this way, and now it's that way, and now it's this pedagogical approach, and now it's that, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it's quite endless. So right from the get-go, you've got two, two very uh, significant challenges to making inroads in do think that Lego Series Play has has a lot to offer in terms of not just some aside or some component or something right. extra to add on, but can really offer something substantive. You've got so many years of expertise and mm -hmm. evidence behind you mm. that there's a chance to make inroads into the fabric of education. People are curious about play-based learning, um, you know, and and right. other associated methodologies. Um, but how do you get in there? Well, I certainly wouldn't want to, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, I have never taught like in a classroom with students. I've always done therapy with students and I've worked in, um, you know, in schools where there's been special education classrooms. My role was always as, a, as an art and play therapist. So I wouldn't want to um, presume that I understand you know the world of education um there's there's probably great people that you could ask what i noticed from my lens is that um it seems like everybody is really working hard at um helping adults that do that are educators understand th that there are better ways for children to learn and that children are not empty vessels that we just need to fill with information, but they are naturally bright and smart. And by providing um, the opportunity for children to learn, they they will learn much quicker without us intervening. And it seems like there's a lot of people in a lot of different areas that are working on trying to understand this. Um, and I, when I think about it globally, I think you're absolutely right. There are, you know, around the world, there's lots of different ways that we are um, teaching and teaching styles. 
Um, but what is always true is that we're is that the people that we're teaching all learn the same way. So children learn the same way adults learn and adults learn the same way children learn. There's no difference. It's not like, oh, when you turn 12, you learn differently. We continue to learn the same way. Play is our favorite way for our brain to absorb information. Um, people love to have fun. And as soon as we can enter play and fun into um, in, a, in a way that is not contrived. I think people do not like if they're given some kind of a game or activity and it's like, now you should have learned this. Um, it has to come from the person like, what did you learn? So the educator needs to kind of create that space for, well, what, what, what was important to you about that? Um, and then that is how people are able to sort of put all of those pieces together and integrate knowledge so that it goes into from short term memory into long term memory where they can recall it again later or bring it into their framework and the fabric of of who they are. And I think that um, that it doesn't matter what culture we're in. Um, that is true. I think that people like to have fun. They like to learn by everyone likes to be in on the joke. And when there's play, our stress is lowered. Our neural pathways are more open to bring in information. We're much more likely to let go of a position and to um, consider something new when we're having fun and it's light. And I think that by giving people an opportunity to experience something and maybe set their own agenda aside, you know, like, I know that you want to create strategy or we know that you want to improve your, you know, your service delivery model. But for right now, let's just do this. And to get people into what some Mahai calls the flow zone, where they're really able to do a deep dive into um, the task at hand or, or what it is that we're working on. That's when people lose themselves. And this is where the unconscious mind helps us to think. So there's so much information that's stored in our brain that we don't have access to because we have a very limited way of bringing that information forward that when we go into this flow zone, which in some ways is um, almost like a dream state where we lose ourselves, we let go of our goals and we are just immersed into that activity. That's really uh, where the power of our brain is coming forward. And of course, I have to say with like with serious play, it's all hand brain connection that our brain, when we build in the real world, and this is, uh, you know, the work of uh, Papier, when we build in the real world, we're able to build in our mind. And Papier was a big um, believer that computers are tools that we should use, but we should have something in the real world that we then bring into the computer world. And that's really what we've been doing um, in the world of Lego series play is helping people build in the real world. And then during the, you know, the, these, this pandemic, we've been using computers as a tool to help us continue that journey of, of sharing and, and thinking. Do you find that with the pandemic, there's been, um, it's been a staging post for an acceleration of change? Do you find that because of the the disruption and people having the time to step back from their their lives and to to take a a look at the way they're doing things, that there's um, have you noticed an uptick in interest in in what you're doing um, from from both corporate and education spheres? Um. Well, I to be honest, I haven't really had a lot of. Um, from education, I think education just really had to scramble. I think that when the pandemic hit, it was like, you know, all hands on deck, like they just had to quickly think about how they were going to convert. And I think that, you know, the education system and the healthcare system have been incredibly stressed trying to keep up with this ever changing. And I think it's been really, really, really challenging. So I haven't really had a lot of um, contact with education um and educators the people that have been reaching out to us have been the municipalities that need disaster planning and we need mm -hmm. a new strategy um those folks so we need to learn how to do something better so we've done a lot of work um since the pandemic again u.s air force have been we've, we've worked a lot with them uh, and then different municipalities have reached forward we've done lots of work in healthcare as well so, but to answer your question, do I think that the pandemic, the pandemic has been an absolutely huge disruptor. 
And I think it'll be very interesting because I think we're going to mark everything. Was that before the pandemic or after the pandemic going forward? It, it totally changed our world. And I think that, um, you know, one of the good, good interview questions is going to be to ask people, what did you do doing during the pandemic? And, you know, if people just went, oh, I didn't do anything, you know, I, I, I worked out or I went to the gym. Um, what we want to hear people say, yes, you know, I reinvented my business or I rewrote you know, my educational curriculum, like that's what we need to, and, and even though it was stressful, sometimes a necessity is a mother of invention and it's really forced all of us to think about how we're doing things and how for us, we have really thought about how we can use play to be helpful and what kind of free resources we could make to give away to people. Um, so, and I don't have them here, which is funny, but we made, we made cards that you can hold up with Lego people that are like, you're on mute. We can't hear you. So we've got these and we've, it's a free download on our website. If you go to website under resources, you can find them. We also created crisis cards that we thought would be helpful for people to have to talk about what happened during the pandemic and how people have been behaving. Um, and how people reacted and everybody has reacted differently and all of that is fine. It's just an opportunity to take some time to think about how um, we can learn from what happened and reflect upon it, learn about ourselves, learn about others and perhaps move forward in a more positive way. So for us, we see that this pandemic has been um, has been a disruptor. I think it's been a great disruptor. It's a great example of what a disruptor can do. And it's really been a challenge to see how can people put um, their, you know, how can they eat their own cooking? So if you're a creative problem solver or an educator, how have you used that then to design, um, you know, the, 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 the path forward that will make you more successful? So we've used the term diagonal thinking and so everything we've created during the pandemic, we intend to use after the pandemic. There was nothing that we made and we went, oh, this is just for the pandemic. We'll use everything afterwards. Um, we, we also worked on um, this uh, placenality, we're calling it, which is an online assessment that people can take where they can learn about their play style. And that was something that we did during the pandemic. So we wrote the book. Uh, that was the one thing we did. And then we worked on this um, app that people can take uh, an assessment and it uncovers their natural way of playing, which, and if we can draw a line, we can say your natural way of playing is connected to the way you learn. The way that you learn is connected to the way that you prefer to communicate. The way that you communicate is connected to the way you work and your natural way of working. That then is connected to happiness and, and and you know peace in the world because it's sort of like if everybody got back it all starts with play and if we can get back to that um natural state of playing and understanding you know where our passions lie it can really help us to think about you know career choices for young adults it can or people in transition um and just how teams work together so that's something that we we've we've worked on. We started just before the pandemic and then during the pandemic we've put a lot of effort and energy into that. So so it's it's again it's um it's nice to hear the mention of of happiness almost as the as the end goal as as, mm. as what this is all about mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I think um my my sort of observations on the pandemic are are you know firstly that that people have tended to get back in touch with that with those questions about the significance of what they're doing you know why am i doing what i'm doing why am i living and working the way i am um and i found that perhaps you know a lot of people didn't necessarily reinvent themselves during the pandemic but a lot of people actually it was when they returned to work and that juxtaposition you know so they when the cycle was completed mm -hmm. and they were able to clearly see the contrast between you know what they'd been uh the feelings that had been bubbling um during their absence from work and then going back into it and sort of suddenly saying this is not this is not for me and mm -hmm. organizations and institutions that don't strike the tone of putting well-being front and center are, mm -hmm. are just losing out you know the, the, the great resignation um even things like um you know the concept of uh, ikigai this japanese concept of ikigai and this uh you know, purposeful, passion-led living, um, which has been taken into you know, corporate spheres and education spheres in the West, 
and has almost been tainted with that idea of this um, commoditization, you know, of that all of this is, you know, learning about yourself and learning about how you learn and how you play and, and what you can do is all towards what you can offer the economy, you know, mm. it has to be commoditized, which is unfortunate mm. because mm-hmm. um, when you're doing what you love, it, it can be a byproduct. I mean, it's not, it's not the end goal. The end goal is, right. of course, to be happy and to feel connected to yourself. Um, right. And if you're doing that, the rest is likely going to work out. <laughs> well, you know, I always, I, I, I feel like, um, and you're right, it shouldn't be monetized and it shouldn't be turned into, you know, gross national product. Like, that is not where we should be going. Um, we, if, if we think about, um, you know, in a really, in a really holistic way, if we think if I'm happy and I feel good about myself, then it's easier for me to connect with you and to be a lot more um, accepting and have a lot more empathy for for my neighbor, for my for my friends, for my family. And if I'm able to do that, then my you know, hopefully my friends and my family and my neighbors will start feeling, you know, good about themselves as well. And this whole idea of connecting with me means I can connect with others. Once I can connect with others and I can connect with my community, start thinking about picking up garbage or being a big, a better, you know, a better citizen that then spreads into how do we make our country that we live in a better country? How do we connect with our country? For me, it's what it means to be Canadian. And then that means, well, how does being Canadian connect with the rest of the world? And then how does connecting with other people in the world connect with the universe? So if we start thinking about it, it all starts with us. If we if we're not happy with ourselves and connecting with ourselves, then how can we really um, how can that go anywhere? And and I mean, you can just turn on the news any day of the week and you can see people that struggle with, you know, they don't like themselves. And so then they don't like others they are intolerant and on and on it goes. So and I really do think that it all starts with this idea of play. And through play, we're able to be more open to learning new things. So this is really such an important topic because it really does go to world peace. I mean, and maybe somebody might listen to that and go, that's crazy. But really, it's not at all. Because when when we are tightly held to our own beliefs and the things that we want, um, nothing ever good ever comes from that. So it's this idea of letting go of that, feeling comfortable with who we are and what we have and having an appreciative um, mindset um, that we are then able to to offer offer that to another person and that other person. You know, we all want people to be, you know, to to have empathy for us. Um, We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. And yet we don't want to give that to others. So I think it's that whole um, that whole idea here, which not only are we making educating better, you know, doing a better job of educating, we're doing a job of making better human beings. Well, you're you're preaching to the choir, Jacqueline, honestly, um, (laughs) uh, I'm just nodding appreciatively everything you say. And I don't think anybody should ever be afraid of big ideas um, and about seeing the connection. You know, it might sound out there to people to say there is a, a, a thread that follows from connecting with ourselves to a better world, but it's absolutely true. Mm. Um, feels like something we've known at different periods in history and then forgotten and rediscovered and, and you know, mm. in different uh, modes of philosophy and societies and things. Um, and we're having to rediscover it now because of, you know, the, the world will simply not survive. And it seems like mm. Lego Serious Play, everything about it, seems to just be absolutely um, chiming the right tone with what we need for, um, okay, so in, in, in the way we work in terms of a circular economy and collaboration over competition, over people that are purpose-led, over people that understand how to think creatively and work with others and put, put the ego aside um, mm. and focus on, you know, it's about, it's about collaboration and it's about moving forward together. So there's that empathic bond. Um, this is quite at the sort of, um, I guess, at the, um, the 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 cutting edge of it, it. You know, in the in the corporate world, I find that there have always been a lot further ahead. You know, in terms of um, talking about how they think about leadership, how they talk about communication, types of um, training, the types of things that people are open to. And I don't mean 
everybody. I know there's a lot of antiquated thinking. Um, there's huge issues, you know, but in terms of um, openness, the things like even like coaching, you know, mm. um, it always it, it always kind of makes its way into the sort of private sphere first before it will ever get decades before it will get anywhere near education, you know. But it seems like now that that there is an alignment happening and Lego has it's like you've been saying this for so many years. And finally, I think that everyone's starting to agree, um, for, you know, the conversation is is shifting that way. So I wonder there there are educators out there listening to this for sure who are I'm sure you've piqued their curiosity. Um, you've mentioned free resources, which is um, you know that is uh, you know music to the ears of teachers as well. <laughs> um, but for people that are interested, now this this could be um, facilitate professional facilitators um, in training and things like that 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 want to take a bit of a dive into this world and see what serious play could offer them. And it could be in education. It could be um, teachers in K-12, further, mm -hmm. further higher education, as well as the kind of um, the sort of campus administration side, you know, strategy. A lot of people worrying right now about the big problems about, mm. okay, how do we um, set sustainability targets? How do we achieve net zero? How do we change into a values-led culture? You know, there's lots of big questions at the heart of education institutions right now. So for those people out there that are thinking Lego Serious Play might have something to offer us, what should they do? Um, what's the what's the first port of call? Um, can they teach themselves? Do they reach out to, to people like mm. yourselves? You know, how do they go about mm. it? Great. Those are great questions. There are, um, I mean, we've got free resources, but there's tons of free resources on the internet. If people have zero budget, um, then I think that you can simply go on the internet and see what you can find. Um, because there's lots of people giving, there's YouTube videos and there's um, downloads. You just have to go and, and go and look for it. Of course, there's lots of people trying to sell stuff as well. And so you'll have to weed a little bit through through the, I don't know. You have to look for the flowers, I'll say. I won't call it garbage, but I'll just say, look through the weeds, find the flowers, they're there. Okay. <laughs> um, if, if you have um, a smaller budget, and or if you do have a budget and you're able to take a little bit of training, um, we're going to be presenting at the Creative Problem Solving Institute, um, which is um, CIPSI. So it's a creative education um, institute, have a conference every year. And we're going to be there and we're going to be doing a um, one day workshop, which is a training um, that we a lot of teachers show up for that. Um, so that's another option. Um, we have some books. This is a book that isn't very expensive and it's called What the Duck and it has lots of little activities in it that um, that so you could buy a book and you could go and go to the, your Lego local Lego story and, and pick up some pieces. Um, so I think, you know, I think the most important thing is that you want to try to bring creativity into your classroom. And if you if you even just go and buy some Lego bricks and put them on the desks, you know, one of the things that we know for children that have ADHD or have learning and even adults, you know, if you think about how many adults doodle in their books while they're listening to um, to something, probably most of us do. Most people don't just sit and listen still. So if we put Lego on the table and the kids are able to play with the Lego or at least click them together during a, during a classroom, it, it helps them to actually pay attention. So depending on how the teacher sets that up. But I think that, you know, trying to bring creative tools into the classroom and think about new ways to do things is a challenge. If people do have a budget and they want to take the training, um, we offer training. So strategicplay.com. We offer training in five different languages. And right now we're doing, um, we're training online. There is some live training as places open up. Um, but that is a way that people can get certified. You don't need to get certified though. It's just, you know, if, if, um, if people want to take it further and they want to get a certification to do it, then we encourage people to, to do that. Um, but there's no reason why you couldn't watch some of these YouTube videos and just try some things in your classroom to see um, how it goes. Obviously, getting the training is a really good idea because it would help you to see how you could scaffold 
um, and how you don't get and how to avoid getting a pushback in the beginning, because you want to be able to do things slow in, you know, in small increments, because people, especially older learners are not used to doing this. And they might think, um, you know, this is dumb. And if you lose people in the beginning, it's hard to get them back. So we really do encourage to take the training, but we don't, but we understand that people don't all have the budgets to do it. So want to encourage people to try it and, um, and just get some Lego bricks. One of the things that you want to do is you want to make sure you have a minifigure. So you want to have the little, the little Lego person because Lego series plays all about people. Um, but then you can just simply have people build a tower and put their um, Lego person on the tower and then ask them to change, you know, make the tower about something about, you know, either what uh, the book they read or the assignment from yesterday, or just make a change to the tower so that it tells the story. And then as long as you have the components where people are using the Lego to tell the story, everyone has a chance to tell their story. Everyone has a chance to um, to listen generously, which is hard for adults to do, but to listen generously to the stories, um, yeah. you, can, you can start bringing Lego into your classroom pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people. I think the most important thing is to try not to see money or um, time as a barrier and just, you know, stretch yourself to think about how you might bring a creative tool into the classroom so that you can use that to help springboard um, learning and to get people more engaged and more excited about learning. And it, it all starts with curiosity, doesn't it? And that's all we've mm. got to do, isn't it? Just follow that and it'll lead where it leads. So. I've never, it's been many years since I've wanted Lego as badly as I do right now at this moment. Um, I can't stop thinking about it. I, need, I think I do truly go need to go and uh, dive into this a bit more. Um, thank you so much for your time, Jacqueline. Uh, it's been amazing to, to, to talk to somebody that's really been in uh, at the foundations of, of all of this. And, you know, you must have seen um, so much kind of changing and evolving around you. And I do think that there's so much to offer uh, the world of education as well. And I would encourage people out there to to take advantage of that and, and follow the curiosity that I'm sure they they have right now about this. And I will um, share those resources as well with our audience. And I think we I'm going to have to come back to this topic and write a little bit more about it because um, I'm absolutely, uh, yeah, I really, it's it's got my curiosity going. Oh, wonderful. Well, I, you know, and I just want to say, yes, I was in at the, at the beginning of this, but um, over the years, the people that have carried it forward are really what's made this work. It, it can't just be, you know, we were here first. And so, you know, it belongs to us. It's open source. It's an open opportunity for people to take it and to turn it into something that, that they love to do. And, um, and by, you know, really inviting people to say, look, this is how we use it, but tell us, how did you use it? Tell us what you did, add to the body of knowledge. So I think that that, that challenge is out there for every educator to think about um, how maybe they might want to use it to teach something that they're teaching in their classroom that's maybe a little bit more difficult, and then share that with your colleagues so that we can all benefit from um, new and better ways to engage students and to open minds, because that's really what it's about well i'm i'm convinced i mean right at this moment i'm working on a teacher training program program for it's based on neuroscience um for higher ah. educators and i i can absolutely see already just several ideas blossoming about how this Wonderful. could come in so i'm going to get stuck into it and if it's okay with you i will share any insights um that that come my way um as well is that would that would it be best to just send it send an email to you guys or is there a kind of central repository for feedback into um into lego itself um well i'm not sure i mean lego is kind of hard to get um to get to they've got they're you know they are a toy company and they're making yeah. toys and they're selling toys and the kind of the crazy things we do with it. I think they're interested in what we do, but um, but it's not sort of their main push. So if if you want to send a like um, an email to hello at strategicplay.com, um, we would love to hear from people. We're always looking to find out what people are up to and how they're using things. Um, we definitely will put this um, this video chat on our 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 sites as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's all about getting conversations started and finding out how 
how, you know, where are people going to get information? How can this news be shared with those people? Um, and doing something like what you're doing is great because this is a really wonderful way for people to be able to um, be exposed to maybe a new tool that they, maybe they already have it. It may be in their, you know, their toy, their toy chest already and they just didn't think about how they might use it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go and take a look now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jacqueline, thank you so thank much you for your so time. Much. Yep, it's been an absolute pleasure. Very much appreciate it. And take care. Thanks for, for, for everything tonight. It's been so, You're very so enlightening. welcome. Okay. Bye now. Thank Cheers. you. All right. Perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, okay. I hope that.